4: are you ready to share some joy and celebrate international women's day m&ms has partnered with iheart for women take the mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other and of course there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure peanut butter m&ms because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight like listening to your favorite podcast
5: Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I am your host, Liv, here with a very rare and thus very interesting to navigate unscripted episode. All my episodes, I like to think, at least, you know, for the most part, sound pretty unscripted or at least my rants and raves and whatnot, Um, but they are pretty uh, darn scripted because it helps my brain function. However, for these Q&A episodes, they are not. And so we will see how this goes. This is where you get a real taste of my brain, my ADHD, and generally my personality. Um, So here we are for this Q&A episode. And here I am already talking about nothing. So let's dive right in. It is a new year. Kalikronia, That's Greek for happy new year. Uh, And, you know, that's what better time than to do a slightly unhinged much like my Theseus and Jason episode but one where I just answer your questions makes it easier for me um and I get to answer all your stuff and last year I had so much fun answering all your questions because you asked such good ones they were like really insightful they make me think like I love Q&As generally that's why um if you didn't know all of my Patreon bonus episodes are Q&A episodes like once a month I put out a topic and I ask my patrons to ask questions and it's great because it by reading other people's questions, it forces you to think in like a completely different way. So while I look at these myths all the time in so many different ways, um, it, it really opens up completely different avenues of thought and and like just ways of sort of breaking these things down when other people ask certain prompting questions. And so I absolutely love it. Um, if you want to be a patron, you will get those every month. Um, but that's why I like to do these like beginning new year Q&A episodes too. Um, In addition to the fact that Uh, I've had a quite the couple of weeks and it means that I didn't have to write a script while also working on Sparta. So here we are. This is your Q&A episode. Am I going to put music over it? Let's see. This is the special New Year's Q&A episode, because I feel like it. Okay, so I asked for all of your questions, um, you know, over the last kind of month or so, but I also have questions that have been sort of slowly collecting in my form through my website for the past year. So we're going to jump around a little bit, but there's some really good ones from a while back. Um, So if you asked your question ages ago, you might just get it answered right now. But we will start with some of the newer ones. So this one feels like the best place to start. Vera asks... What is your favorite thing you learned through doing this podcast? And what is your favorite experience through the podcast? And those are just fun questions that are, you know, kind of a perfect way to start. I'm just rambling now. We'll see how this goes. Um, So what is the favorite thing that I have learned throughout this podcast? I can't really quantify or, like, pick something specific because I think generally... My favorite thing is just how much I've learned and how much I've grown and how much, like, my knowledge has grown and expanded. Like, I have been doing this for over five years now, um, and, you know, it, it just really, like, the way I see the myths and the ancient people and the stories and the context and, you know, the oral storytelling and the regionality and, like, all these things have grown so much that I just feel like I have this incredible grasp on the ancient world. I mean, ancient Greece specifically, and like how and why they did things. And I am, I'm just really proud of that, I guess. Like, I really love how much my knowledge has grown and and like how I see these myths now versus when I started, which is just like this full understanding of the context and the history and all of that and it just i think it really it it gives you a completely different insight into the stories themselves the characters all these different things but it for me it just like feels like i just understand the ancient world in this really new and different way and i just absolutely love it um my favorite experience through the podcast gods i don't know it's so interesting like i love doing the podcast i love like being behind the microphone, and so I feel like I should say that, like you know, some of the live events I've done have been my favorite. Um, but that's not really true because while I love meeting people, well, you hear myself cut cut off right there. I do love meeting listeners and stuff, but I am very shy and introverted, um, and just generally awkward. <laughs> so like, it's not always super comfortable. Um, I guess just like generally how much it's grown and like how many people listen and love it and reach out to me and like all these different things like it just it's very meaningful and cool and like I feel like I've really made something here that I'm very proud of okay we're gonna jump right to a funny one um which is from Hyde who says first of all love 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 the show thank you it gives me everything I wanted to know from a young age and is told in much more intelligent funny and honest person so thank you Thank you. Uh, My question is this. How do you feel about Xena? Historically accurate, it is not. But I mean, does the rest of the campy goodness negate that for you? Um, Okay, Xena. So I'm going to answer this having not watched any Xena since the 90s. Like I did watch it in the 90s. You know, I am an old millennial. And so I was... Fully around for Xena and Hercules and young Hercules and all of that. Obviously, now um, the actor who played Hercules in those ones is an absolute piece of human garbage. So, we won't talk about that, but we can talk about Xena because do you know who is not a piece of human garbage? Lucy Lawless. What a queen. Um, so, Xena, I mean, I don't remember much of it, but I do remember loving it because I loved the ancient world from, from a very young age and it was just fun. I mean, I think there's like some, I don't know about accuracies, but like it's done well from what I remember and like, nah, I'm pro-Xena for sure. Uh, I thought about doing like a, a Patreon series on it, but it's really hard as like one person to talk about um, a show because like it needs to be a discussion. So one day I'll figure that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just generally like it's a fun show. It's silly and I'd like, I, I, I want to say that I want to watch it again. Um, but it's hard sometimes to go back to, like, that level of 90s camp. Sometimes it just doesn't track compared to, you know, the the quality uh, television that we all have access to now. That and I don't think it's streaming anywhere in Canada, which is just, like, rude. Okay, this next one is also relevant. Uh, Rachel says, how is your cat doing? I haven't heard them in an episode recently and it would make me smile when there was a cat cameo in the past. Also love your work in the podcast and hope you have the best holiday season. Thank you, Rachel. The cat is doing great. He was sitting on my lap when I decided to answer this question. And then he jumped down because I was not giving him enough attention. But he is very well. Um, his name is Lupin. I am sorry. I named him when somebody was not a vile piece of trash. Speaking of piles of human garbage. Um, but my cat is just Lupin now. We can just forget what it's from. It's fine he is turning 16 this year which is precious and explains why his name was that um yeah no he's great he just doesn't yell into the microphone anymore yesterday i was going to record i wrote the foreword for um the uh women of myth book that was written by my good friends an ancient history fangirl uh jen and jenny and so i was trying to like record the foreword for their audiobook um, and like, I literally like hit record and then my cat was like, I need to do zoomies around the apartment and he screams while he does it. And you know, his nails like scratch all across the ground anyway. So like he does still kind of appear in things. I just tend to like edit it out more. Um, if he does something like obvious and cute into a microphone when I was already saying something good, like I don't, uh, it's just rare. Cause he's, he has more space now in my apartment and he just, he just doesn't yell into the microphone as much. He still yells just less when I'm recording that. And I have a microphone that doesn't pick things up quite as much because it is much higher quality than when I started this show and he used to be in all of the episodes. All right. uh, Claire says, do you have any tips for remembering all the names and family lines of Greek mythology? There's a lot of similar ones and I can usually remember the stories, but never the names. Oh, Claire, do not bother yourself in trying to remember. So I have like a ridiculous memory. I have an ADHD memory, which means that I remember... Like all the most useless things. I mean, obviously it's not useless now, but like if you tell me like what I have to do today, like it has to be written down in like 18 different places and have like 18 different phone reminders set because I will not remember what I have to do. But like, could I probably just like list like 30 to 40 Titans off the top of my head if I wanted to? Probably. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I I think I'm worse at listing them, but like if somebody's like, oh, do you know who this person is? Like it's going to come to me immediately. Like I just really have them all living in my brain. But that's also because it's like all I've been doing for the last five years is reading these ancient sources and like and it helps when you're not um, like when you have to take in the information for a purpose. Like I think if I was just listening to this podcast, like if I was switched with you guys, like I wouldn't because it's not the same, right? Like you're not taking it in and then using the knowledge, whereas like I am taking it in and then using it to relay it all to you. So it's easier to remember everything. Um, But yeah I don't know I mean I would just say don't don't try just like you know look them up when they come when they are brought up to you and like probably the more you have to remind yourself the more likely you're going to remember but it's really a mess and like uh, less so with like the gods and stuff but with characters like there are people who have like the same name as other people and they're like different um and things like that and it's like yeah no it gets confusing i mean it's like in the real world right like people have the same names sometimes or or also because like all this stuff was developed over like a thousand years like often the names change or spelling changes or all these different things like oh my gosh it's trouble so don't i would say don't stress about that (laughs) just keep doing your best and learning and you know it'll come to you eventually or some of them not all of them you don't need that there's freaking thousands okay This next one is from Emily. And there's a good running joke on my Patreon because I have so many Emilys. So every time I see the name Emily now, I just think about that. So thank you, Emily. If you're a patron, uh, thank you for being one of my many Emilys. Okay. Emily says, she says, first off, thank you so much for creating such a wonderful place for people to learn about Greek mythology, even if it breaks your heart at first to learn that some of the classic things you quote-unquote no, are not true, such as Hercules is Heracles, Atlantis is not real, and Medea is the real hero in all of Jason's stories, for quick examples. My ADHD brain, hey, mind you, um, has a running note for random questions I think of while listening, and now they can be asked. Love an ADHD brain, and by that I mean love, hate. Okay, one. I'm going to answer these as uh, as I go, so we'll start with one. Did you ever find out if ancient Greek ancient Greece had actual direction signs signposts on the roads for how to get to places like the Oracle. And let me tell you, I wanted to answer this question so bad. Like I probably would have anyway, but like, I need to tell you about signposts in ancient Greece. Now I know for sure that these were the signage in Athens. I don't know offhand, um, if they expanded beyond Athens, but Athens. So Athens, <sighs> I think they expanded beyond. They're all over Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I can tell you, but they're not as good and I'll tell you why. So the signposts of ancient Athens, possibly much of the ancient Greek world or some of the mainland, certainly, were these things called herms. And oh, do I love a Herm. Like, I can't fully express to you how much I love a Herm. So a Herm, they're named for Hermes because they were originally busts of Hermes. So they're like, a head of Hermes on this plinth. So it's just like a rectangular plinth. The plinth itself is not human shaped at all. But there's a head on the top that is fully carved humanoid head sitting on this plinth and then down the plinth in the middle for absolutely no discernible reason. I'm sure a historian has a reason. I don't want to hear it because I love it too much that it's random because on this plinth, this like non-human shaped plinth with a head on top, there is just a penis. And that is the signposts, the directional signposts <laughs> from ancient Greece. Now that I think about all this out loud, the first time I really recognized that I saw a real Herm in real life was in Epidaurus, so clearly they were everywhere. Um, they are uh, one of the greatest things about the ancient world, and I can't properly express how much I love them. And they, they did, like, point in certain directions. I don't know how it all worked, but they were directional signposts. Just heads on plinths with penises. Fucking love ancient Greece so much, honestly. Okay. Number two. Can we get a drunk Cadmus and Harmonia myth? Medusa would also be great. That is a great idea. I need to record another drunk myth with Jen and Jenny. We've all been so busy for the past while. Like, oh my God, it's hard to keep up. And also, frankly, frankly, number one, drunk myths are so frustrating To edit, they take hours because we just talk about nonsense and we talk over each other and we fuck up and we have bad connections. And because there's three of us all across the world, and oh my god, they suck to edit to such a degree that like it makes me not want to record them. But like the actual recording is really fun, obviously, and like having it out in the world is really fun, but it sucks so much. So, anyway, one day that a good Cadmus and Harmonia is a good idea because you all know how much I can rant. Okay. Number three. This one is absolutely ridiculous, but I'm curious. The play names are Oedipus Tyrannos and Oedipus Rex. Is there any correlation with dinosaurs? Ah, great question. Is this the ancient world telling us of the first T-Rex? Well, this is a great reason for me to talk to you about the word Tyrannosaurus Rex. Okay. So the play is technically the play... The Greek, the name for the Greek play, right, is Oedipus Tyrannos, means Oedipus the king. Um, Oedipus Rex became more famous because that is the Latin name for the same thing, Oedipus the king. So it's just like technically in English, it's Oedipus the king. I don't know why I could say that so many times. It's unnecessary. But that is the title of the play. And it's just like in the two languages, Oedipus Tyrannos, Oedipus Rex. What I want you to take from that information is that the word Tyrannos and the word Rex both mean king. And from my understanding, without having fully looked it up, because I just want it to be like this fully in my head, is that the word Tyrannosaurus Rex essentially boils down to King Lizard King. This is a saurus's lizard. King Lizard King. So good. So he has the word King in his name twice. Few. Love it. Okay. Number four, what is the most quote unquote mythologically correct quest that you've come across in AC Odyssey? Oh my God. There's so many. I mean, okay. The one that comes to mind, which is like not necessarily mythologically correct so much. It is just like a really fun little, um, like Easter egg, I guess. Cause there's so many, I wish I could like off the top of my head, it's hard to come up with them. Um, I want to, I want to figure out how to stream odyssey for you guys because like it would be really fun because i'm such a fucking nerd for that game i can't express it okay this episode is going on for way too long already (laughs) adhd this is unhinged you all better be pre-existing listeners because if you are brand new and listening to this episode like go listen to something else this is wild okay back to the question um so this is like my favorite easter egg quest which is that there is a guy in focus uh where you have to help him because his Like, ultimately, the end of the quest is, like, his grandmother was um, an oracle, but, like, of course, the AC Odyssey has this whole, the whole, like, overarching quest line of the game is that, like, there's this cult of cosmos, which is not mythological, it's not ancient Greek at all. It's totally invented for, like, the, uh, like, Assassin's Creed level of the game. So, it's totally invented. So, like, this guy's grandmother, he finds out that she was an oracle and she was, like, working for the cult of cosmos. Obviously, that part's not mythological or historical at all. But up until you learn... That, like, that is his issue. So you meet this guy. His name is Lycaon. He's living in Fokis. And you have to do all these things for him that give you, like, really heavy myth of Lycaon vibes. Because the myth of Lycaon is obviously, if you all have listened, like, it is the first werewolf story. Or, like, a werewolf story from ancient Greece. Um, It's where we get the word, like, lycanthrope. And... So up until you learn about his grandmother, you're doing all these things that like, and the people are talking to you and everything suggests that he's a werewolf. It's amazing. Like he isn't, it isn't part of it, but like, I love that there's all these little Easter eggs. Like, I think the first thing you have to do is like, go get a bunch of stuff for him that's like surrounded by wolves. And then you have to like give it to all these people and they, they make all these like comments and hints that like, oh, I don't know, like the full moon is really hard for him. And like, oh, he's, he's fighting with his inner demons or like, I forget what everything is, but basically... Every single thing that people say to you up until the point where he reveals that like hits his grandmother as an oracle, it gives these hints that he is going to be like on the lycanthrope, the werewolf. And it makes me so happy. I kind of wish they were able to like pull it through all the way and like make him a fucking werewolf. But all the same, like all the little Easter eggs are very fun throughout, if you know that level of myth. That said, like there's just so much the I mean, the. That's a great game. It's so historically good and accurate. And like, I mean, obviously not fully accurate, but like there's so many accuracies and the mythology is so much fun. Obviously, the Atlantis makes me want to scream, but otherwise uh, it's so good. Okay. We have so many questions and honestly, so little time at this point. So I'm just going to keep scrolling. What else? Okay. Okay. Okay, this one is from Dallas, who says, I feel like most religions have some sort of story about how the world will end. Norse, Hindu, Christian, off the top of my head. Did the ancient Greek mythology have any predictions or stories about how the world would end? Did they even think it would? Also, I love your podcast. I've been listening since the Arachne story back in the day, and you have brought so much joy and made me remember why I love Greek myths in the first place. I wish you all the happiness you brought me. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you. <laughs> that last sentence got me. Okay um so that is really interesting and i'm really glad you asked that because i never really considered it before but you're right like so commonly you have this kind of like end of the world thing like ragnarok is the one i can think of and obviously the religious ones but i don't like to touch into religion too much but i'll get to that um but i don't think so no ancient greek didn't really have like an end of the world they have their flood myth right like so many um civilizations of the ancient mediterranean have a flood myth but no they don't really have like an end of the world myth which i kind of love it's yeah it's sort of nice no they don't have one okay and that relates right to a question from Natasha who says I'm really interested to know if you're religious in any way and if you've took the time to see what the Torah Bible Quran took from Greek and Roman mythology just wondering um so as I might have suggested just back there no I don't fuck with religion um I am a super atheist I, I even find it like I mean I, I think I come at the myths that way too like as a full-blown atheist like uh, I forget whether I was saying this into my Instagram or into this microphone, because that's where I'm at mentally. Um, but basically, like, I come at these myths looking at the history and the people that, that, like, believed them. I'm less interested in any kind of rel- religious aspect. Like, I'm, I'm interested in, like, the literal religious things. So, like, the things that they did, the practices and the physical actions being done by the people. Um, but, like, in terms of, like, a spirituality, I guess is the word I want. I'm not interested in that except for as it relates to like the historical context um yeah so no I'm just really not religious like I grew up in a um kind of like (laughs) like hippie spiritual uh realm and I am like the one in my family who like stepped out of it the most (laughs) uh so no definitely not religious I'm really not interested in talking about religion on the show because I don't know anything and like I don't want to, like, I understand people's feelings and, like, I don't want to, you know, ever, like, make anyone offended or, or, like, feel lesser for their beliefs. I just personally do not fuck with religion. <laughs>
4: Happy International Women's Day.
5: All right, now we're going to pull it back to a question uh, from earlier in the year. That's just been sitting in here waiting to be answered. So, Shay says, Have you ever done an episode on just Demeter? She's very interesting, just really hard to find stories about. Did she have a husband or was she lucky enough to be unwed? Okay, there's a lot, excuse me, a lot to answer in here. So, I have done an episode on Demeter, but basically, in terms of Demeter, like the primary story that we have revolves around Persephone. Like, her search for Persephone, and um, you know the the incident at Eleusis uh, with the baby, and all of that, um, which is all told in that same story in the Homeric hymn to Demeter. That is like a it's her number one myth. That's like her most detailed myth um it just happens to also revolve around persephone so i have told that in a couple of different ways including just reading the homeric hymn to demeter to all of you so you can go back and if you just search the word demeter basically like the long-running thing i have to say for people looking for episodes if you google myths baby and the character name that you want so myths baby and demeter you're gonna find the episodes i've done on her so it's an easier way of doing that i'd link to things but like there's too many places to listen to podcasts and all of that so um that's all to say, yes, I've done episodes on her, but it is going to be the stuff about Persephone. She kind of like features in here and there and other myths, but she doesn't have like other major stories other than like there's the mysteries at Eleusis, which one day I will go into much more detail with, but it, because it's so historical, it's like an actual mystery cult that people practiced. Um, it's trickier for me to research. So it's more of like a, a process. Um But that said, like, so did she have a husband? So it's interesting when you're looking into these things and when it comes to like translations and people interpreting these things because so often um they interpret like anytime a woman has a child by a man as like quote-unquote marriage so a lot of times like people will call like a bunch of different women zeus's like wives um because he had babies with them which like obviously i do not do because that's nonsense um and it is an ancient world like we are talking very different marriage practices and all of those different things so like you know it is what it is in terms of those interpretations but i don't do them but uh, there are like uh versions i think where they would like call to meet her like one of zeus's first wives before Hera, because um she has persephone with him that said she also is like once she's assaulted by poseidon uh and gives birth to a horse so that's a thing because poseidon is awful uh, but in terms of, like, a traditional marriage, she does remain unmarried in a pretty great way. Um, she holds a lot of power because of her role as the goddess of, like, the harvest and, like, basically food. Um, and so she really has a lot of control in a really inter- a really interesting and-, and sort of meaningful way. Okay, and then Vel, uh, they say, will you ever do a mini-myth about Asteria? And I... F- So I think I have, I'm going to like answer this question without even looking back onto what I have and have not done and how I did it. So back in the day, I was doing those Zodiac episodes, right? Of all the Zodiac signs throughout the year. And if I recall, Asteria is sometimes the Virgin in Virgo, but maybe I'm totally wrong there. Basically, Asteria is the goddess of stars. She does not have stories, So there's not really any way that I can do, like, a myth on her. Um, I actually just answered this, funny enough, in my Patreon episode, just, like, yesterday. So I have a bit more in my head. So she's a goddess of stars. There are some associations with her and the island of Delos, uh, which is where uh, Apollo is born. But that seems to kind of come in later. Like, basically, she's just one of those, um, the many, many gods that you guys always want to know so much about that I have no answers because they're just, like a god of a concept they exist to be that concept not to you know really have much more to them beyond that so she just is the goddess of stars because there are stars and so they had to have a goddess and vio says uh aside from it being mythology what would you say the likelihood of mythology being real so that's a fun question and i'm gonna answer it in sort of like probably an unexpected way like maybe not unexpected at all i'm not gonna edit that so I mean, I, I think that, like, so many of these stories are based in, like, not based in real things, but, like, kind of based in real things. Like, let's use the Trojan War as an example, because I think, I mean, it's obvious, it's one of the most obvious ones, but it's also the one I can kind of think of. So, um, I don't think the Trojan War happened. Uh, I do think probably there was, like, a big war, um... Uh, with between the ancient Greek world and the Phrygians or somebody in the East, um, the Phrygians being like the people who were in Turkey or maybe the Hittites who were there before, I think. Um, So I think there was like some kind of war and there was some record of it or some sort of remnant. And then the stories of the Iliad were created around that. So I think things like that exist. Like I think certain monsters existed to explain things the Greeks found around them. Like, Basically, I don't think anything's real, but I also think they didn't pull all of it just, like, completely out of their imaginations, right? Like, there was some kind of basis in something that inspired these stories. Then Rebecca said, where are the best places to get mythology books that are not Amazon? So, I'm a millennial and also somebody who hates Amazon. So, I'm going to answer this in a way that, like, I don't mean it to sound rude, but in my head, it's just like, it's an interesting question to be asked this. And I've been asked it twice, um, more once more recently. But so Amazon, like, took over becoming, they just, like, turned themselves into this, like, they are the bookstore. But, like, there are bookstores. Like, you just, any bookstore will do. Um, if you're in the States, like, you guys have Barnes & Noble. If you're in Canada, we have Indigo. Um, in the UK, they have Waterstones. Like... Or independent ones, even better. Like bookstores typically too, like they can order you up order you in things. So like just in the way that Amazon would, they'll just order it for you. And then you're not supporting Amazon, you're supporting a bookstore. So like ideally independent bookstores, um, little local ones that need your dollars. Like I know they're more expensive than Amazon, but there's a good reason, and it is to keep books alive, to keep book selling alive, to keep everything that goes along with it alive. Um I am biased because like this is like, why I went to school is publishing and like keeping all of that going. And I have an English degree and like I care a lot about about keeping books and, and everything moving and, and like existing. And Amazon is working, actively working against that. Um, so yeah, like ideally don't buy from Amazon and just like find an independent local store and, and get them to order something in if they don't have it. Um, the only reason they usually couldn't is like if you have to buy it used. Um, and in that case, you know, it's trickier. I like all the used sites now are owned by Amazon. So it's trickier there. But um, but in terms of like new books, they'll just order it in. Just ask them for it. So just, yeah, bookstores, man. Just bookstores. All right. This next one is a really good one from Kaylee who says, first of all, I love your show. Thank you. I just found it a couple months ago and I'm obsessed and listen to it whenever I can. My boyfriend and I love to sing randomly. Let's talk about myths, baby. Um, My question is regarding Roman myths. Obviously, the Romans took on some of the Greek myths and made them their own by changing some things like the names, um, like Zeus to Jupiter. But what I'm wondering is if the locations of the myth changed from Greece to Rome, like if there was a Greek myth that takes place in Athens, would it still take place in Athens in the Roman myth? I can't speak. Um. Hopefully, this question makes sense to you. It does make sense, and I'm really glad you asked it. Though, so this I think is like a really common misconception about Rome, ver- Roman mythology versus Greek mythology. This isn't actually how it went. Um. So, like they their gods do for the most part align with Greek gods. Uh, you know Zeus and Jupiter but that is more so about as far as I understand it like more about like location and time period like they just ended up that way you know like they ended up kind of the same but like Rome has a lot of uh, gods that Greece doesn't have and Greece has a lot of gods that Rome doesn't have they're not all equivalent just like sort of the major ones Um, and the myths themselves did not get moved over in the way that i think this in the way that people believe like based on your question i mean and i think you're taking it from so many different places and probably from me like i probably perpetuated this in the earlier episodes i will not pretend like i didn't because i didn't understand um But so, for instance, like, I don't know a ton of Roman mythology that's explicitly Roman mythology. I don't know it because it just doesn't interest me in the same way. But so let's talk about Ovid because that's I think that's the glaring, obvious one, right? Because Ovid wrote Metamorphoses about all these myths. Um, He used the Roman names for the gods. That's a fact. However, he was basically writing Greek myths just with his latin names and it's less i think it's less about using the quote-unquote roman names for the gods and using the names in his own language right like zeus was jupiter he's not going to say zeus because he's not writing in greek he's writing in latin um and so he's going to say jupiter so i think it's more so about that because like for instance all of his myths they still take place in all the same places in greece all of them because he's basically like rewriting just myths of transformation and when they started in greece he's keeping them in greece and some of them were in rome and so he's keeping them in rome it's just about myths of transformation so it's not really like they took the myths they just had similar gods and we transliterate to roman god name or not transliterate but translate sometimes to roman to latin god's names um but they didn't really like they didn't, like, steal the myths or take the myths in that way. It's a just really common misconception about that. It's, yeah, I'm hoping I'm under I'm explaining this in a comprehensible, comprehensible way because it is, it's really interesting, but it is also, like, generally confusing to deal with because it is such a funny sort of situation and, and like, so often is depicted as this kind of, like, quote-unquote stealing greek myths or stealing their gods so that really wasn't it they really had their own gods their own mythology their own everything it's just that because of their location their time period both like really matching up with greece in a pretty tangible way the the gods just end up having this overlap where we can see the equivalencies across the two mythologies but like they weren't one and the same and they weren't stolen um i feel like i had more i wanted to say on that but I'm going to figure out it. But, like, I mean, yeah, specifically, like, if there's a myth that takes place in Athens, it's still taking place in Athens in, like, Ovid. Um, and there are there are other, like, later sources, like, um, like Pseudo-Apollodorus, who was Greek, but, like, writing um, more so in the time of Rome. I'm trying to think if he uses the Latin names. I don't think something must just be Greek, so maybe that's irrelevant. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's really not about that. Uh, it's just, like, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, like, because it really just is about... Us having trouble understanding this type of thing because it's so very foreign to how we operate today, you know? So it's a great question, though, because I think it is really important to look at it this way. And I think I earlier for sure perpetuated this issue. So I'm glad now that I get to answer questions like this and like hopefully clear it up in whatever way that I can. It doesn't help that I'm like not super knowledgeable when it comes to Roman myths because I prefer Greek. Um, But generally, like they were they were quite different. Um, they just had like some, some similarities for sure. Again, so I'm doing, um, an Instagram live at the same time as recording this and it's kind of now causing me trouble because I'm just can't remember what I answered here and what I answered on Instagram or not live, but a Q and a, um, but so I'm going to answer this anyway. I don't think that I've already said it here. So, um shantanu uh he says, "Hi, first of all, I really like your show. It's one of the things that got me deep into Greek mythology after I read the Song of Achilles. So I'm curious to know if you have any plans to dive into other ancient mythologies and make us all fall in love with the rest of them too." So I get asked this a lot, definitely was asked this on Instagram, which is why I'm mixing them up. And I think it's a good question, um but I don't have a- an answer that I think is going to make people particularly happy. So like The thing that makes my show special, I think, is my passion for these myths and my knowledge, right? That just inherently does not translate over to other mythologies. So even if I wanted to try to cover other mythologies, it would not be the same because I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know the background, the context, the history. I wouldn't know anything. And I wouldn't have the passion that I have for Greek myth so it would it would just be weird i don't know like i'm not a i I do enjoy egyptian if i can learn more about sourcing and how to figure out egyptian myths i might be interested in that and like mesopotamian and certainly if i like if there is a, a expert uh historian what have you who wants to come on and share about other mythologies i would be thrilled to have them because i think that that crosses the the line the issue that I have which is like somebody else will come and share their passion and I will take part in their passion right so like that that is what makes my show is my enthusiasm and my passion for this topic which just doesn't translate over to other mythologies I am sorry to say like broadly I'm fascinated with the ancient Mediterranean but I'm more fascinated with the way the ancient Mediterranean interacted with Greek mythology right like just that's That's just kind of where we're at. So I wish I could say that I had plans to go to other mythologies, but I just don't because it just wouldn't be the same show. You know, it just would be a completely different kind of concept. And I don't think it would have the same quality. Okay, really quick question from Maddie, who says, would you ever consider going on tour? I live in Utah and I would absolutely die if I was able to meet you in person. So I'm answering this one because. Like, I want you I want you guys to understand something about me which is that like I am a normal person. I just like talking to a microphone for you all, which I love doing, but like so I I talk about this with my friends like all the time because the thing I will never get used to or comfortable with when it comes to having this show is like people thinking that I am someone worth meeting, I guess, or like the way people get excited when they meet me or like get excited at the prospect, I guess. Um, So like I I really fell into this show. I just did it because like I was sad and lonely and needed an outlet. And now it's my career and I have things like this. And like it's really flattering, but I am... Such a shy, weird, awkward, introverted, neurodivergent, nonsense human that, like, I get immediately, like, so uncomfortable. <laughs> like, not that I dislike these interactions, but, like, oh, my God, they give me such anxiety. Like, I cannot even express it. <laughs> um. So, like, that's not really an answer to this question, but it is, like, an insight into my brain. Um. Which is that like I mean maybe if like the right type of live experience were presented to me like I don't know what I would do live because it's just me and like I did two live shows before the pandemic and oh my god I've never felt more uncomfortable in my whole life. Like I don't feel like they went well I didn't like I maybe in hindsight I enjoyed myself I I can't even confidently say I enjoyed myself Um, because like oh it's just so weird uh yeah so um like I mean with like the right opportunity maybe but oh my god the way I would have to like step out of every level of my comfort zone to deal with that like I can't even express it oh my god I have like had a handful of interactions with people like listeners and stuff just like in my own town like I did the, the book signing recently and like it will never be normal for me. That is so fucking wild. So bananas that like people want to meet me or talk to me or like recognize me like that's It's just gods. Anyway, um, that's like a really uh, vulnerable insight into my entire life, which is like, I don't, I don't know. Gods, I don't know. Maybe on a book tour one day. Ooh, even that, that would be easier, but like, whew. okay. Anyway, um, thank you for asking though. Like I do appreciate and I kind of, I'm appreciate, I appreciate being able to like make that clear I guess oh this is a great related question from Ellie and she says hi first I want to say I love your podcast so much thank you for making it so fun and interesting you keep my ADHD so focused my question have you ever considered doing vlogs when you go on your awesome trips I think it would be so cool to see the little tidbits around the places that people who aren't obsessed wouldn't see if this stresses you out because social media is your job ignore me thank you I, I didn't read that last sentence until just now. <laughs> yeah, it, it stresses me out. <laughs> it stresses me out. Like, I don't love doing video. All I do is stare at, like, how my face looks and how my hair looks and how my mouth moves. That I just, like, can't enjoy it. <laughs> uh yeah no like I always wanted to do those things and I absolutely see the value for you guys um but it ends up making my trips really stressful because I feel like I should and I feel guilty at myself when I don't and I don't remember either because like I'm not um I'm not like a sharer online much uh and so like I, I explicitly don't remember also I have ADHD like you um and so like I don't remember and then I'm like should remember and then maybe i try to set an alarm and then i miss that alarm or like i snooze it or like i set a reminder but i ignore it and then i've already gone to the place and i didn't film anything and then i feel bad and like i'm gonna pull out of this like super um personal answering session here because it's already making me uncomfortable but like yeah i'm just not like social media is not a thing i'm super comfortable with um Being on camera, remembering to do things, all of that stuff is, like, so, so tough for me. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm always considering it, but, like, even, like, I recorded, like, a video on Samothrace uh, specifically for my Patreon people, and I just remembered now that I did that six months ago, and I haven't done anything with it because I don't remember, and I hate editing video and doing things with video and, like, so, yeah. (sighs) <sighs> I think about it. I think it's a really good idea, and I probably will never do it. But thank you, and I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast.
7: sales event deals when you visit
4: buyatoyota.com Toyota, let's go places Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic
5: All right. So Connor asks a really interesting question, Um, and he says in her book, Rain, A Natural and Cultural History, Cynthia Barnett argued that rain influences ancient religion. She notes that polytheism correlates with more humid regions and more arid regions like ancient Israel produced monotheism. She postulates that the harsh and harsh arid climate with cycles of drought created the notion of a God who punished and giveth and taketh away, in quotes. Versus more lush areas like the Indus Valley had a set of gods who do, but ne- do not necessarily punish, um, but instead act like humans. How do you think this hypothesis fits into the ancient Greek world from both religious and climate standpoint? Um, so obviously I've not like studied any of this stuff and I don't, I'm like deeply not scientific. So this is just like my own immediate like gut reaction to this, which is that like, um, like Greece is not particularly lush. Like, it's, it's not humid now. I don't know if it was then. Um, It's not like a jungle. Like, it's pretty arid. Like, not like a desert. Like, not like Israel. But, like, it's not humid. Um, It's not, yeah. It's not like the Indus Valley. So, I don't know. And also, like, Egypt is Egypt. And they were, like, super polytheistic, you know? So, I don't know if she addresses any of that in her book. But to me, those are really big standouts where, like, yeah I mean it's Egypt. <laughs> they were like one of the earliest polytheistic in the region and greek yeah I don't know i i mean it doesn't does not uh does not like fit well with my knowledge of of those places personally all right um haley had a really <laughs> Really a a great point that I did not read before I did this, but okay, here. So Haley says, if you absolutely had to choose who out of Theseus or Jason is the biggest douche, who would win? I've listened to your podcast so much and love how much you have ranted about both. I've only felt that way about Poseidon, as in my learning and reading, it seemed... If I was there was a problem, disfigurement, or catastrophic event, he was usually at the bottom. So it was refreshing two new ones. It's like a weird song. Shag. It's like weird snog. Sorry. It's like a weird snog shag Mary choice. <laughs> that was great. Um, so since you asked this question, like about two weeks later, because this is on December 7th, which I find this very funny, um, I released that episode where I just did exactly that. Uh, so yeah no I go for Theseus for sure but you're right Poseidon is the fucking worst I mean he is overarching the worst out of everyone Uh, but yeah no I go for Theseus and I have a lot of arguments uh, to be made in that episode so if you want to hear me do exactly that in an absolutely unhinged and really entertaining way listen to the episode I did I think I called it like holiday special battle of the bastards yeah that's what I called it it was very fun so listen to that because I definitely did exactly what you want All right. Good question from Yvonne. And she says, if I wanted to write a mythological retelling story, what's your perspective of writing Achilles, Patroclus, and Briseis' relationship as polyamorous? Would it be too unrealistic? So my thought on that, and I'm going to be really blunt about it, um, because this is just where I come from when it comes to that relationship, is I find it pretty problematic and just ick um, to romanticize Briseis in all of that, because Briseis is absolutely um, a, not only a prisoner of war but like uh, she is abducted from her people she everyone every man in her life is killed around her and then she and all the other women are abducted with the express purpose of becoming sex slaves basically like that's that is the truth of the the story as we have it is that Briseis is fully abducted, watches everyone die, and then is used as a, as a body. It's horrifying, to me. Um, and so I really have a lot of trouble with any kind of romanticizing around her, um, and around her and her captives, whoever they may be. Uh, it's just not. Yeah, it's it, It's not for me personally. Um, that said, I think po- a polyamorous relationship broadly in in Greek mythology is not is not unrealistic whatsoever. In in fact, arguably quite realistic. I think you just probably want to find a threesome, what have you, like that is not so explicitly non consensual. All right, got a question here from August, and they said, could you talk about the myth of Selene and when they suggest she was replaced? So Selene, there's not a lot of myths around Selene. There's Selene and Endymion, which I don't know well enough offhand to talk about now. But basically, Selene is not featured in a lot of stories other than just as the concept of the moon. So she, her name features in a lot because she's the moon. And, like, if the moon is there, so is Selene. It's like Eos, right? Like rosy-fingered dawn. She's just there because she's the dawn. And so Selene is just there because she's the moon. Excuse me. And, uh, yeah, so... As for a replacement, I don't see her, like I'm assuming you mean as Artemis as the goddess of the moon. Um, I don't see her as a replacement or as being replaced rather so much as uh, the world evolving and there seemingly just needing to be fewer individual gods or rather the larger, the more important gods taking on outside roles as a way to like almost consolidate unintentionally but to consolidate which is why like Apollo becomes the god of the sun kind of takes that away from Helios and Artemis becomes the goddess of the moon and takes that away from Selene and I don't think it's like anything to do with Selene I don't think it says anything about her character or her importance in the earlier stories or really like anything about her I think it just says something about the culture at the time what was going on and just like a culture that just maybe needed fewer deities and like less sort of convoluted stories maybe like if that makes any sense so yeah I don't really see it as a replacement I just see it as kind of like consolidation but like in a really almost positive way just like just saying something about what was going on with the people in the place at that time you know because remember these stories spanned like a thousand years and so much changes in a thousand years Right. Like picture the world a thousand years ago. Nothing resembles it other than humans just existing. So think about that in the ancient world and how much can change over a thousand years. And I mean, think about religion now. Right. Like, yeah. So I think I think it just is more about that. How much changes over centuries and centuries and and what that ends up meaning for religion. Okay, so Amanda asks, have you done anything on the Divine Comedy? I know it's not Greek or Roman mythology, but it is old as fuck and has lots of the characters and references to it. That's a great question. So I actually, like, briefly had this whole goal of doing, like, a whole podcast series on the Divine Comedy um, because I really enjoy it. I think that it's really interesting, and it does obviously feature Virgil um, in a really fascinating way. Of course, it's, like, heavily Catholic, um... But the history involved and the, the poem itself uh, really do interest me a lot. I quite enjoyed Dante. Uh, but that said, like, I don't have time to do anything else now. Like, the podcast really is, like, my whole life. Uh, and the things that I work on outside of it are, like, trying to put out more books of mythology and maybe a retelling one day and, and things like that. So, unfortunately, I just don't have time to, like, really do anything else. <laughs> uh but such is life my job is cool i will admit um okay and then uh uh, stephanie says if you could have one mystery solved from the ancient world what would it be and i wanted to answer that one because my current obsession as many of you might know is with the island of samothrace samothraki and greek and on samothraki there was a mystery cult the samothracian mystery cult and we there is like a whole complex of buildings that survives. It is huge. It's amazing. I've been. It's like the most incredible place in the whole world. But regardless of everything that survives, which is like a lot of buildings and a lot of we know what those buildings were for the most part and all these different things, is primarily Hellenistic. But there was definitely a presence there in archaic and classical periods, um, and we don't know what they were doing there. We know that it was a mystery cult. We know that it was the second most important mystery cult. We know generally that the mystery cult promised safety upon the seas if you were inducted. We do not know what an induction looked like. Uh, We don't know what the process was. We don't know even what gods were worshipped there. The interesting thing about this complex, this temple complex, or rather not temple, the sanctuary complex, is that there actually is no temple. There is no dedicated temple on this entire enormous sanctuary complex not a temple and the other weird parts are like so there's um so the the one building that survives most it's not a temple but it was like this big structure that they did a bunch of stuff in and we generally know like maybe what they did in there there was like some places for for burning things for sacrifice blah 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 this building um, and it's sort of like the focal point, I would say. I'm going to forget what it's called, of course. That would be really helpful if I remembered. But here we are, and we're already an hour in, and I don't have time to go look it up. So is this main building. It's like if you Google um, the Sanctuary of the Great Gods, that's what it was called. And we know that they generally uh, were re- – it revolved around the quote-unquote Theoi Megaloi, which means great gods. We don't know who those were, really. Like we know there was like some basis in like a worship of of, of Earth goddesses, mother goddesses, things like that. Um but generally, there's this building. If you Google it, you'll see, like, it's the only one that has, like, recreated uh, columns standing. It's gorgeous. Marbles all sparkling. It's beautiful. However, there's also a theater. Um, like, an amphitheater, right? The, like, the regular whole stair situation. However, that does not have a stage. The theater does not have a stage. And actually, the theater is, like, not directly facing anything. It's kind of, like, off on a weird angle where, like, basically because of that, because there's no stage and it's not facing anything that could have been used as a stage... We don't know what the hell they did. We don't know what was going on. It's such a mystery. I just want to know everything about this Samothracian mystery cult. I want to know what gods we know, that the Kibiroi were involved, which are, like, kind of mysterious generally. There's these gods from Lemnos, and they were heavily involved, and we know, like, quote unquote, great gods, but, like, oh, it's such a mystery. I love it so much. It's fucking fascinating. So I just want to know everything about Samothrace, basically. Okay, of course I should have known how long this is gonna be and I still have so many questions left. Um, we're gonna try to bang through a couple of them. So Aubrey says, Do you have a recommended source for the Cypria or what could be understood from it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I wish. Um, yeah, no, like, the Cypria was probably amazing, and there are definitely like some fragments that exist. So Theoi.com is always gonna be your best bet. They probably have the fragments on there, I don't know, offhand. Um, there's also these this two volume set. Like if you are dedicated fully full you have to be real deep dedicated to get this or to use it or like find any kind of value in it but there's this uh two books that i source it in like almost every one of my episodes now it's called greek myth early greek myths rather by timothy gantz um it's essentially a source book it's like he basically read every single thing that survives and looked at like all the pottery at all and like put it all into one place so it is not like a narrative story it's like this person tells us this but this person tells us that but this person tells us this about each concept and myth um so it's a amazing i love it like it's really good for me but like you really have to want like a really academic like really nitty-gritty source in order to use it and it's like 150 bucks for both like it was not cheap so just like there there would definitely would be stuff in there um but that's yeah it's it's tricky but no the kipria is just i mean like any lost sources which is another question that i have here so um Okay, hold on. Sorry. Back to Eleanor, um, who says a bunch of nice stuff, but I'm trying to make it real quick. So I'm going to go right to your question where it says, also, will there ever be a chance for us to find more ancient texts that contain unknown slash lesser known myths? The more I listen to you talk about what we've lost, the more I have a small, maybe foolish glimmer of hope that something somewhere might be found. Good question, Eleanor. I mean, it's not impossible. It's really not impossible who the fuck knows, right? But like, I mean, I have that same hope too. Like it's not like we've found everything or like rather like found everything that that there is to be found. Um it's not impossible. Like papyrus is found all the time uh because it survives in really interesting ways like I mean, honestly probably not, but like it is not impossible. We can all have that glimmer of hope. <sighs> who knows, you know? Oh my gosh. Okay, so um Somebody who I think all, all I got was your pronouns. Uh, so she says, uh, how do you get yourself to complete such long books? And I wanted to answer this because I want you all to know that I don't read at all. I I do not and I cannot. I have ADHD and like I love reading, but I really have to be fully enthralled in something. And like... For the podcast, I do not read every word of everything. I absolutely do not. Um, If I have an author on the show, I, I absolutely, I think I've always read the full books. Like I really do my best, but like I really, I've limited time and energy. And like sometimes I find that like too much of my life is based around mythology and I have to branch out because like it's just becoming too much and I need other things in my life. So I definitely don't read everything. Like I really scroll. I have learned the art of like finding what I need in a source without having to read it all. So, like, the plays I do read, yes, which is why they're always so damn long and, like, all those different things. But there are ways that you can know everything without reading everything. (laughs) Like, I am incredibly knowledgeable, and I definitely do not read the whole of every book. It is impossible, and I want you all to know that because I think it's reassuring. Okay, and then um, Shay says... Uh, Two questions. They're sorry if it's too much. It's all good. Also, I don't know if you had pronouns. I apologize. Oh, she. Sorry. She she says, I'm sorry if it's too much. It's all good. Um, Have you ever learned of Lampades, the underworld nymphs? Were they part of Greek mythology or more modern thing? I could never find too much on them. And I know you did two Demeter related episodes, but did there is, is there anything you could tell us about her marriage the marriage between her and Zeus. Oh, interesting. Um, Again, sorry if it's too much. No, it's not too much. Thanks, Jay. That's great. Sorry, I'm trying to like rush things now, but I really want to answer more. So first question, Lampadies. As far as I know, they are Greek mythology. They're just one of those characters that it's like they were there. Like with nymphs, that's often just like they were there because their purpose was to just explain like, or their purpose was just sort of to like to be there for lack of a better term so i do think that they're from the greek myth but there's just not really anything to know about them beyond the fact that they were there they were the nymphs of the underworld that's it um and the demeter question it's great that you phrase it that way because it really harkens back to what i talked to at the beginning which is that So often when you read sources and particularly interpretations of sources, they will do things like call, um, like if somebody had a baby with somebody else, they will call it a marriage. Even when there's not any evidence that it was any kind of like union, like an actual technical thing. Right. Um, so we just really know that like Demeter had Persephone and Zeus is the father and sometimes it is called a marriage, but I think that's just more to explain almost like Persephone's legitimacy maybe, um, Yeah, so often it's referred to as, like, she's an early wife of Zeus in order to explain Persephone. But, like, that's really all that there is as far as I know. It's just, like, that kind of just a statement and that's it. Um, And because, like, marriage is not considered in the same way, it's not like they grew up married and got divorced or whatever, right? Like, there's not even an explicit marriage. It is really just, I think, to explain the union itself and then, like, called a marriage when really it's just, like, a physical union that resulted in a child. All right. Jay asked a great question. They say, uh, would you ever consider doing a series like the Atlantis or Sparta on ancient Greek and Roman magic? Not just the mythical witches, but, quote, real magical practices that existed in the ancient period. Love the show so much. Thank you. Um, I would love to. That is a question on sourcing, mostly. Like, I don't really know where to look. There's a lot of things I would love to do, like, a big deep dive series on. But I need to learn more about sourcing. That said, like, I've done kind of episodes with – with. Um, experts and stuff on those types of things in the past which are sort of a fun workaround for that so i'm always happy to have anybody on who can tell me more about you know their version of magic um we did have that great uh, conversation episode where we talked about uh, roman quote unquote witches which basically were doing like the same thing as the men but the men were being called medica and the women were being called witches which is like fascinating and patriarchal and weird that was with uh christy vogler i believe Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I talked to too many people and I remember all the conversations and then, yeah, but it was absolutely fascinating and wonderful. Um, so you can definitely listen to that. I would consider it. It's just about like where I would find all the information that I need, you know, that is often the trick. All right, Brian has a couple questions. The first is super relevant. How do we know whether the stories that don't exist are gone for good or simply not yet discovered? We don't. We absolutely don't. We, You never know. You'd absolutely never know. Um, And two, is there anything else known about Chrissior besides the fact that he was born from Medusa's neck along with Pegasus? Honestly, no, I don't think so. Like, I think that's it, which I think is so fucking funny. I could be wrong, but like, from what I remember, no. And I love it that way. All right. And then um, Gaia 3, I hope I pronounced that right. Bear with me. um, Said, could you please explain what inspired your logo and what it essentially means? Um, I wish I had like a great explanation, but it's much like my, um, the podcast name, which is that like, I didn't think much about it. (laughs) No, but my logo was created by my good friend, Matthew Dunleavy. Um, and honestly, like, I just was like, hey dude, could you like make me a logo? And he was like, yeah, do you want to like send me some thoughts? And I was like, sure. Red figure pottery and like characters. And I think he did it. Like, the guy on it is Daedalus, right? He's making Icarus's wings, and the woman is just kind of like a woman. She's like a goddess or a person or Yeah, there's really not much to it, frankly. (laughs) Okay, another quick question from Ira. They say, Lore Olympus related, but on there, do you think Dionysus will make an appearance? And my answer is yes. Oh, he will. We have already been given... The origin of Dionysus and yeah no it has been begun right because think back way it's like really early in the webtoon where there's that scene where uh Zeus and Poseidon and Hades are all down on earth and they are in Thebes and they are in the palace of Cadmus and Zeus um has a little thing with Cadmus's daughter Semele so he is coming and I definitely talked about this with rachel but i don't remember if it was on or off mic so i will not say anything further about what i know but you can go and listen to my episode with rachel the creator of lore olympus to remind yourself of what was said because i don't remember i just know she and i talked about it (laughs) but regardless yes he will definitely make an appearance because it has already been suggested and i am here for it a quick one from Tom, who says, The Song of Achilles or Circe? My answer is The Song of Achilles, no question. I wish I liked Circe more. I am sorry. <laughs> OK, this next one comes up a lot. This is from M, who says, A bit of background. I've applied to do a degree in classical civilizations. What was your experience studying classical civilizations at degree level like? What was the best part? Um, so I graduated over 10 years ago now. Uh, which is weird, especially because it feels extra weird to me because I did not go to university straight out of high school. I waited until I was 21. And now it's been 10 years even since I graduated after that. (sighs) Getting old is weird. Um, But regardless. So yeah, I mean, I remember really enjoying my degree. I did not do my classics degree with the intention of using it. (laughs) Like I did a double major with English Lit and Classics because I had every intention of working in publishing. And I did do that for a while and then I left it and then eventually started the podcast. So it's kind of weird. Like it was not my purpose it was truly that i was like i am such an, a nerd for this stuff that like i just want to learn it anyway so i might as well do a double major and it just worked out for me the one thing i would say is that like i was not told at the time and i wish i had been told of how important it is to learn ancient greek and latin um learn ancient greek and latin make sure you take it learn ancient greek and latin do it do it do it. i can't express that more one because it's awesome it's fucking awesome and i don't know them and all i want in the world is to know them and now i like don't have time to learn oh my god but do it do it it'll change your life do it and otherwise i think you'll have a great time i don't know it's been so long it was fun i think it's probably better now like i was going to school in 2009 and like yeah i think it's i think it's really good now i think you're gonna have a great time and just oh my god enjoy it that's great Another quick one from Morgan who says, are you working on any books? I used your handbook on a series of speeches at my college. One, thank you. That's very nice. Two, yes, definitely. So my handbook was like, I absolutely love it. It's been so cool. Do you guys know it sold 50,000 copies? 50,000. That's all thanks to you all. That's fucking crazy. My mind is blown every time I think about it. However, it was a commissioned book, which means the publisher came to me and they said, we would like you to write a quick introductory handbook that just introduces all of the gods. They're major stories. We don't want a ton of detail. We want it to connect to pop culture. That is the purpose. And I wrote that and I like it. However, that's not what I would have written if I was given free reign to write a book. And so I am now working on what I would write as a free reign. This is my book of mythology. This is the stuff I want to talk about. This is the level of detail I want to go into. Let's be honest. It's all me talking about the women. Um, so I'm working on that now. Hopefully, it goes somewhere. You never know. This process is super long, but I am working on it. And I am always working on my retelling novel, but who the fuck knows because I really struggle with writing fiction and having the time to write. But basically, the answer is still yes, I am working on books. All right, and we are going to end this with a question from Sammy. And this is totally on me. This is how I want to end it. And they ask a bunch of different things. Uh, Number one What's your favorite storyline in AC Odyssey? Okay, these are all Odyssey questions, let's be honest. This is all about Assassin's Creed Odyssey uh, because, yeah, like I still do play it all the time two two years in. I'm cool, if anyone's wondering. I definitely have a life. Um, Okay, (sighs) what is my favorite storyline? Okay, so I think for just the silliness of it uh, and quotability, I'm going to go ahead and say... Maybe it's like all of the, all of the storylines in Pefka are quite funny. They're just like silly in a great way, but mostly the Minotaur tours because the Minotaur tours. Yeah. Yeah. Basically that. (laughs) It's so silly and fun. And also I love that like that's not actually where the real Minotaur is. It's like in the rest of Crete and they're like, nah, this is our whole brand. Like I respect that. Making your entire brand off the Minotaur. All right. Favorite place in AC Odyssey. Um, probably I think just for just for the love of it, I'm going to just say the Acropolis because I think having that kind of uh idea of what the Acropolis would have looked like because it's pretty damn accurate, like pretty damn accurate. And that's what thrills me the most. Like not everything is accurate because they had to invent a ton of stuff because we don't know what was there. Like it's lost. Right. And so like while everything is really accurate in terms of just general Um, knowledge of the of ancient greece and and architecture and things like the the acropolis is one of the most um one of the most accurate in the most sort of viscerally beautiful way so i will say the acropolis i also had this really funny experience like i got a tattoo of um it's called the antifix it's like this little um sort of flowery shaped piece of architecture that sits at the very top um like the tip of the parthenon and I got a tattoo of that and I love it more than anything. Um, but I was with a friend who's like not super into the ancient world. And so she was talking about about this tattoo. And, uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's an antifix. It's like the thing. And she was like, oh, no, no, no. I I know I stand upon that to synchronize. Don't worry. I may not know what it's called. But we stand on that tip to synchronize in the various temples in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I'm like, yes, thank you for understanding it purely from AC Odyssey, like the thing that you have to jump on, on the tip of a, not the one, like some of them are like a a Nike, but not the Nike, like the other one. To synchronize. (laughs) So fucking dorky. All right. Um, Favorite, this is still continuing with Sammy because we're just finishing it all off with this AC Odyssey. Favorite AC Odyssey character. Hmm. I'm going to keep it simple. Cassandra. Obviously Cassandra. She's just the best. And Everyone should play through with her because Alexios is weird as the good guy and Cassandra is weird as the bad guy. And thus, we must all play Cassandra. Um, Yeah, I mean, honestly, I just (laughs) really like that game. It's really fun. It's really well done. And I'm going to be honest with you, Sammy. You and I I are going to keep the last part of your question secret because my answer is no um and yeah (laughs) I kind of like this mystery are you gonna even remember what the last part of your question was we shall see (laughs) okay what a way to end it (laughs) That was really fun. Thank you all so much for asking these questions. Um, yeah, it was great. I really enjoy doing these Q and A episodes. So I'm glad you guys like to answer question or to ask questions, and it's really fun. And also just like so free and loose. And all and uh, really bad for my ADHD. I want to tell you guys how many times I stopped and started this because my brain couldn't focus on it. <sighs> Whoo! But it was fun. So thank you all so much. Thank you for listening. However long you've been listening holy shit, I've been doing this for five and a half years. It's 2023. What is even happening? Very cool. This is still my job. I had a really, really bad year in terms of the podcast. Um, Things I don't talk about uh, because it's all the business side of it. But basically, like, the number of really epic and really kind of, like, um, shattering disappointments and, and, really shitty things happen. Like like companies really screwing me over. Like the number of things like that um, that happened last year made it really difficult. I, it looked from the outside like it was wonderful because I traveled to Greece twice and that was incredible and I wouldn't take it back. But I booked all those things um, when I had a company that had fully made a deal with me to guarantee me income rather than me having like a a question mark, like a, I don't know what I'm going to make from month to month. Um, I was supposed to have a confirmed amount and I knew I could then book a trip. Um, and that got yanked out from under me the very last minute, like, like about to sign the contract, like just truly unprecedented, um, level of, of bad business behavior is what happened. And it was really, it was really, really difficult. And then a, a ton of other things happened. And then and then we spent the last um, like five months trying to find another deal um, that would give me some semblance of of security in terms of of how my income works. Um, and then that's that's still not fully finalized. And because of what happened last year, I've like had a lot of trouble um, being sure that it's going to be. Because I got burned so hard, and anyway, it—that's really all to say. It's been a, a really, really tough year, and there's been a few times where I've just sort of wondered what on earth I'm doing because the amount of work that goes into it, and then without having a guarantee of like what my life is going to be like, it's really—it can be really tough. It's really like, it can be tough. Um, but I really, I, I love it so much. I love you all so much. Ultimately, this is the coolest thing in the whole world—that this is my job—and. And I will not get burned twice. So things are going to be looking up for 2023. And hopefully that shows in the show, even just with my, like, I mean, I I don't think I, I don't think I showed it very much because I'm also really good at masking. Um, But I just want you all to know, you know, it, it was a really tough year and I'm coming out of it. And I'm really glad that you're all still here with me and listening and commenting such nice things and just like being around. Um, It's the reason I can keep going. So. I'm really, really grateful for all of you, for everything that you do in downloading and listening. And it means the whole world to me. So thank you. And um, yeah, next week, Sparta. (laughs) It's going to be really fun. I've been working so hard with Michaela. Michaela, my amazing assistant, has um, really taken hold of this Sparta. And together we are making a really incredible series. And the conversations that I have had, I recorded them all in the summer. So like but I've been listening to them again, and oh my god! Like we just we're diving into history wholeheartedly in a really fascinating way, and I'm really excited for you all to hear it. So yeah, stay tuned for that. It's been uh, a time, and really thank you all so much for listening and being around, and generally just being great. I am live, and I love this shit. <laughs>
4: are you ready to share some joy and celebrate international women's day m&ms has partnered with iheart for women take the mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other and of course there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure peanut butter m&ms because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight like listening to your favorite podcast